This week's episode of Invest Like a Boss is brought to you by Indeed.com. Now, when you go to Indeed, you probably think it's that site to get a job with that huge corporation, but I wanna let you know they are just as effective for the small businesses as well. And hires for small businesses are even more important because one person can make a huge difference. So to get you started in the right direction, Indeed is offering a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post when you head over to Indeed.com slash ilab that's indeed.com slash i l a b i'm going to tell you more about indeed at the break until then let's get the show started offer valid through march 31st terms and conditions apply welcome to the invest like a boss podcast i'm sam marks and i'm johnny fd we're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, bosses. This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 171 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm out here in Ahagama Beach in Sri Lanka, and Sam is down on the fucking islands, South Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> I just discovered this really cool island, Johnny. It's called Fuck It in Phuket. Have you ever heard of it? <laughs> it sounds like a great place. <laughs> it's uh, a really cool tropical paradise down here. Um, now it's Phuket. Phuket for anyone that is not aware, but often uh, mispronounced. But yeah, I got down here a week ago, or no, just uh, like four or five days ago. And... <sighs> man i can't even tell you like i love Chiang Mai, but you know the weather starts to change this type of year and getting down mm-hmm. here is it's truly paradise man there are very few tourists i mean no tourists everyone's long term everything is half price as you can imagine uh we're staying here at this incredible resort down in uh, in the south of Rawai called uh stay phuket and it's it's a once in a lifetime experience to you know, to enjoy these places without tourists, it's, it's something we'll never see again. So I'm super happy to be able to experience it. Yeah, definitely. So the, the place I looked it up, it was, it's called like stay wellness retreat or something. And it really looks like a proper place that someone would go for, you know, maybe two weeks, do some yoga, you know, work out. There's that beautiful CrossFit gym. It's a dope spot. And, And normally how much would that room cost that you're staying in? I got a two bedroom villa with a private pool. Um, it's usually $650, $700 for the night. We got it for, uh, for 2000 for the month, which includes gym membership, moped. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a ridiculous deal and you could do it a lot cheaper, but I wanted to get the, the villa with a pool. I'm down here with my girlfriend. Um, but this place is for our lifestyle, Johnny kind of, longer term stay at places for a month or two you couldn't you couldn't beat the setup here in fact a lot of the the remote uh, the expats that are in Chiang Mai that came down to Phuket they're not staying on premise here but they're using the gym and the pool and the facilities and it's crazy man the, the gym is three stories it's like a mall all these 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 modern like crossfit types of exercise facilities you got the big tire uh you know where you push the tires over on the astroturf and stuff um the wine shop has 200 bottles of wine like 80 different types of cheeses it's for me <laughs> don't need it a lot else to be pretty content uh, and the views are of course stunning all, all around so life is good man 
I feel yeah. like I'm like like you are in Sri Lanka right now because the the climate and environment are, are very comparable. Yeah, it's like we're in a very similar place. I, I just showed uh, my office here. I moved into a place that's two hundred thirty bucks a month, which is crazy cheap. Uh, it's just a room, but there's only four of us staying at this boutique hotel that normally sells for you know one hundred fifty bucks a night. Seven rooms, and we converted one of the 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 rooms to a co-working space basically but that's only you know two or three of us are using as looks out to the ocean it's crazy like it's for anyone who is stuck in the cold summer if you're in like chicago or something and you're complaining about the cold winter get out to one of these countries they're they're not easy to get to but it's possible yeah i just took a 14 hour flight over the north pole from atlanta to seoul and to be honest, I thought I was going to dread it. I was like, I had anxiety going into it. I'm like 14 hours, like COVID lingering. It was one of the best flights I've ever been on. Korean Air, straight over the North Pole, easy breezy, wonderful stewardesses and stuff. Um, and usually when I fly from the East Coast of the US to Bangkok, it's like five flights, including two in the US, which are the, the, the worst part of it. Uh, but this was just two flights. It was Atlanta to Seoul. Seoul to Bangkok, both on Korean Air triple uh, sevens, which is a great plane for all those plane enthusiasts out there. And um, yeah, it was it was easy. It it really it made it seem like I can do that a few times a year if I want to, because normally yeah. it's such a hassle. I'm like I'm not, I'm only doing that once a year, if that. So yeah, this mm. has been good. Yeah, actually, I love Korean Air and a travel hack. I don't know if it's open right now uh, because of the restrictions, but on the basement of the of korea's seoul airport there's a spa where you can go and you can use like the hot tub the steam room there's an ice bath and there's a oh, nap yeah. room yeah it's Dude, amazing seoul airport is is got it, it's got to be one of my if it's not my favorite airport in the world it's top two now they've done yeah. such a good job renovating it their lounges are their international transit lounges are better than most business or first class lounges that you have to pay for fly, you know, business class be a member of. They're sick. They have like, you know, VR arcades and nap rooms and free beer. It's 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 awesome. There wasn't a single person in Seoul Airport uh that wasn't on my plane that I saw. It was it was a ghost town, man. It was yeah. It was crazy. It's all it's yeah. all just different over here than it is <laughs> back in uh America. Yeah, you know what? fuck it the u.s man like honestly <laughs> get out of there like i don't know why anyone's there every, every time i speak to any of my friends and family back home they're just complaining how everything's closed they haven't been to a restaurant for a year now like they've gotten takeaway and maybe they've eaten outside but no one sat inside a restaurant for a year everything's closed mm. there's like you know all these crazy rules everywhere and people are just scared everybody's just you know unhappy like i don't i i really don't think you can go a whole day in the u.s without having some political discussion or some covid discussion or you know something that to drag you down while being out here i'll go like a week at a time and i'll kind of forget you know what's even going on in the world yeah well it's a much more collective society over here uh it's it's more group thing like Back in the States, it's become a really self-serving society. And COVID has just accelerated that. <laughs> like you go out in the US and you pass someone on the street, you're like, I don't want to be within 12 feet of that person. They disgust mm. me. Like, mm. <laughs> and in, in, in Thailand now, everyone is so 
respectful of everyone's space. Uh, of course, mannerly as, and gentle as always, but people here seem to be wanting to take a holistic approach to solving it. And Thailand's done one of the better jobs in the world um, at, at controlling COVID. And dude, they're doing things really smart. So they've gone, Thailand's basically leapfrogged. I'm not sure if you're seeing this in Sri Lanka yet, Johnny, but they've leapfrogged credit cards and mm. gone basically from a cash economy, a cash you know payment form straight into mobile app payments. Mm. So now, dude, you, you'll see uh, when you come back, every merchant from the big retailers to the small, you know, small shops in town, all the way down, believe it or not, to the food vendors, like the pop-up stand food vendors you see everywhere, are now uh, are mobile app uh, payments. So they'll have a QR code printed and you walk up and it, this is like, I'm telling you for as little as like 15 baht, 20 baht, and you just, you scan the QR code and it prompts your mobile bank app in Thailand, whatever one you have. And it, it just, and all you do is put in the amount, you know, 30 baht, click send and it's done. And so it's quicker than a credit card transaction. There's no passing, you know, you're not passing back a credit card. There's no hand swap of cash or credit card. And now that I've seen it, I'm like, well, this is going to be the obvious thing everywhere. Like no one is going to be handing over credit cards or cash mm -hmm. or anything because you don't want it. It's dirty. Uh, and this is quicker and it's more efficient. So mm -hmm. they've done an amazing job. Like that's all new since I've been back. Um, just in a year and literally the entire economy is on that. Um, I've tried to pay with cash in a few places and like, you can still do it, but people look at you a little funny. Uh, <laughs> like they don't want to touch your cash, you know, yeah, they don't want to give you change. Money is dirty. I mean, it's always been dirty and dirty. now it's, it's, you know, un, I don't know, I guess unsavory to, to, to handle cash. I mean, it's, it's kind of carrying germs. And yeah. with mobile app payments, I mean, the only hard thing is I assume that you have to have a local Thai bank account. Luckily, I have one through Bangkok Bank, and it was relatively easy to get. But it is going to be hard for tourists when they come back. Uh, that's that's correct. It is. And and so actually, I'm locked out of my bank account. One of the really backwards systems, which is um, counter to what I just said about their innovation on the payment front is their banking system. And they require some really weird things. Like if you need to get anything changed at your bank, you need a bank book, but you can only get that bank. If you lose that bank book, you can only get it from the bank that you registered at. Mm. So I, I opened my bank account in Phuket like eight years ago and I lost my bank book like six months later and I hadn't really been back to Phuket. So I've been literally locked out of my Thai bank for like ages. Um, so whenever I come, I've been transferring my girlfriend money and then she'll just get cash or, or pay for everything, which is, yeah. this is fun. Cause uh, yeah. it's just, that, I'm, it's like, I'm here on vacation. <laughs> I got someone yeah. taking care of me. I mean, yeah. that's annoying because I opened my, uh, my bank account in like 2008 in Koh Tao. And for me to go all the way there, it would take, you know, like it would oh take eight hours to get gosh. there. It'd be insane. <laughs> The only person in the world that's ever opened a bank in Kotal. Yeah. <laughs> and I only did it because I mean, literally. I had, yeah, probably. I mean, I literally, the only reason why I opened it was I traveled to Thailand in 2008 and to, you know, kind of change my life. Right. And I brought my life savings with me. And at the time it was, you know, maybe like two or $3,000. I can't remember specifically, 
but I was so scared to lose this money. I was so scared. I was hiding in my, under my mattress. I, you know, I went to some hotel to use kind of like their, their lockers. And I was thinking, man, what if someone's stealing it from there? Uh, I was too afraid to even count it, in, you know, like in that hotel lobby because I thought someone would see it. And then finally I went to the bank and I was like, you know, can I open an account? They said, no. And I said, please let me open an account. And they said, no. And then I came back, you know, I tried every bank. I went back and I was like, here's all my money. Take it. Like, I, I don't want to walk out here with it. So I just yeah. put three grand in Thai bot <laughs> on, like, on the table and I said, take it. And eventually it's just like, okay, I'll open your account. <laughs> it's a, it's a prize now. Cause it's not, I mean, we're, we'll talk more about this on this episode and probably in the outro, but it's not easy for Americans to open foreign bank accounts now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to get some opened back in like 2013 and I still hold those and I don't even use them, but they're, they're almost like assets in a sense, insurance policies, assets, because it's not easy just to go open an account in Singapore or Hong Kong anymore. In fact, unless you're walking in there with like a few hundred thousand and you're going to open a premier account, I don't even think you can do it anymore unless there's some special occasion. So yeah. hold on to those foreign accounts if you have them. Yeah, it makes sense. So this is actually a good transition to this week's episode is, is with Mikkel Throp. He's with the Escape Artists. I actually interviewed him on Travel Like a Boss podcast a while back, uh, and we mostly talked about you know the, the travel aspect, you know, living overseas and uh, other countries. But I really wanted to have him on this episode because he also specializes in offshore investments, bank accounts, uh, you know, different currencies, second passports, things like that, uh, as well as you know, holding money through gold and other uh, types of hard to seize uh, uh, assets that are not us dollars so i'm excited to have Michael on i think he's going to answer a lot of these questions and then afterwards sam and i i think i think it'd be good to talk about what our plans are for you know having a second residency or you know and actually how you even got into thailand so let's save that for the outro yeah i think this this for me johnny you know i love investing overseas for me it's it's a scavenger hunt it's a it's it's what makes living abroad even more enjoyable, even more savory is being able to try to do business in foreign countries, finding local partners, going there and visiting them. It's, it's, I can't understate how much I enjoy it. So this episode is right on the money for me. And in the outro, let's talk about some of the, the investing stories uh, that we've done abroad, because some of those have turned out really good. And some of those have not, but um, a lot of fun, irregardless. I'm looking forward to this interview and I'll catch you in the outro. When you think of posting a job, you might think Indeed.com is just for those large corporations with thousands of employees. But in fact, Indeed is just as effective for the small companies. Take us here at Invest Like a Boss. We're just three people, Sam, Johnny, and myself. We definitely understand how important just one great hire can be. So you should check out Indeed.com because they are the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates with Indeed Instant Match. Indeed searches through millions of resumes in their database to help show you great candidates instantly so you can do the part you really need faster meeting and hiring great 
people. Unlike some other hiring sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, giving you a quality shortlist faster. There's no long-term contracts. You can pause your account at any time and you only pay for what you need. With Instant Match, you will see a list of great candidates with absolutely zero Wait. In fact, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all the other job sites combined. That's according to Talent Nest. So if you want your quality shortlist fast, you need Indeed. And right now, our listeners are going to get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash iLab. This is Indeed's best offer anywhere. So get your free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash iLab. That's Indeed. Indeed.com slash I-L-A-B. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Mikkel, welcome to the show. Great to talk to you again. So good to be back. Thanks so much, Johnny. I really appreciate uh, you having me back on your show. Yeah, so I had you on a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago on Travel Like a Boss, where we talked a lot about the kind of tr- the travel aspects, the you know second passports, residencies, things like that. But we wanted to have you on Invest Like a Boss to talk more about the international investments. Uh, I guess first question would be why, as let's say someone's an American, why would they want to invest outside of the U.S.? Okay, amazing question. So straight off the bat, there's many reasons that someone would want to invest offshore or international, let's say. So the first one might be diversification. Now, a lot of people think of diversification, they just think, okay, I have a stock portfolio, maybe I own some bonds. If we're gonna get really risky, I've got some real estate. I've got a a second house down the road and I rent it out on Airbnb, or maybe it's a long-term rental. But for me, that's not really diversification. I mean, first of all, everything is tied to the US dollar, everything is tied to the US economy. So. I mean, that's not going to help you a lot. Now, when you move offshore, you're going to get both of those things. You're going to have, say, it's still real estate or say it is still stocks, but it's in a completely different market. The government, the political doesn't have influence or not as much influence. And most likely you're going to be in a different currency. So I think that those are some starter reasons, you could say, why someone might want to invest in another country. Another thing might be that opportunity. In the US, I mean... Yes, the U.S. financial sector is a six-lane highway. There is a lot of traffic there. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of regulations. But in most cases, the gains, a lot of them have already been had. And a lot of people are much smarter than you or I or anybody out there who's probably listening. They do this for a living. They have huge, massive teams. There's quants. There's tons of um, technology that makes it more difficult for you. But when you start investing in smaller developing countries or frontier markets, I mean, those things don't exist. So you actually have an opportunity. And as an avid traveler, traveler like you and I, we can actually go on the ground and we can meet the people involved. So if you're investing in a foreign company, you can actually meet the CEO of the company or the CMO or any of these types of people and get a better feel for it. I mean, try doing that with Apple, try doing that with Tesla or anything like that. Like, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I know Sam Marks, my co-host, two of his favorite investments besides his uh, international uh, real estate investments is the businesses. He has, I think, you know, Maple Tree REITs in Singapore, and he has the self-storage company in Hong Kong, he, and he loves them. You know, Not to mention a, a beer company he invested in in Australia. And part of it is you know, diversification. Second, it's you know, 
fun time and excuse to travel to those countries. But then third, he has opportunities there that he just doesn't have in the U.S. Absolutely. And all of those things that you just mentioned, I mean, those are really cool, exciting things. And you can actually get to know the projects really well. In some instances, you can actually do a value add and influence them. And like you said, to be able to travel and see these places, I mean, that's just fun. That's just cool. <laughs> like I just geek out on that type of stuff, you know? Yeah, I, I do too. And I, I think that even though the U.S. has been the kind of biggest gainer uh, financially for the last you know, 10, 20, 30 years, the chances of it being kind of in that that top position and continuing that same growth for the next 30 years is pretty slim. So I think if I wasn't American, I would be investing a lot more internationally. But as an American, I think we have a bias where we're just like US dollar strong, it's the reserve currency, uh, our you know stock market's the biggest and you know uh, has been has had the most growth. I think it's 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 a bias that a lot of us are going to end up regretting if we are 100% US stocks. Absolutely. It ends up being groupthink. I mean, the world is a big place. You know that very well. There's lots of opportunity out there. And if you do a little bit of digging and a little bit of extra research, you can be rewarded. Yeah, definitely. So I wanted to jump into a couple different investments, starting with you know something really simple. In the US, savings accounts pay basically 0% interest. You know, Maybe we can get you know, 1% with Ally or Marcus on a good day and, and you know jump around. But in a lot of countries, they pay 10% in their local currency, sometimes you know 15% or more. I know uh, Georgia uh, has you know, pretty high savings rates. Uh, you know, I know when I was in Ukraine, I was shocked when I saw 15 or 20, you know, 20%. If you invest in a savings account uh, or even, even on a six month CD, but you have to do it in the local currency. What are your thoughts on that type of investment? Listen, I love foreign currencies. However, not all foreign currencies are created equal. One of the investments that comes to mind is the um, Egyptian pound. Now, I've heard bank accounts that, yeah, it's 10%, 11%, 12% that it's going to pay back. But am I going to put my faith in the Egyptian pound? I don't know. I don't know enough about it. I've been to Egypt. I love the country. But I mean, I'm not sure I'm going to do something like that. Now, let's take another example of a foreign bank account. I live in Panama. I mean, just going out and getting a regular bank account. I mean, we're not talking about anything special or, or secret or, or fancy or anything like that. Just a run-of-the-mill bank account here in Panama. Your savings account is going to pay 3 4%. And we're not talking about some random little currency. This is a USD economy. So these are USD accounts. I mean, that's going to be a lot more stable, I think. I mean, yes, I love foreign currencies, but I always look at things like Swiss francs or Great British pounds or RMB. I mean, my wife is from mainland China, so we hold investments in RMB and they've done very well for us over the years. And I think that there is a lot to be said in still looking at China for growth. I mean, people who say that the rise of China is over. I mean, you guys don't know what you're talking about. That country is on fire. It's growing so fast. So getting into those types of things, I think, is a lot better. So the second type of investment you know, is something that has li- literally is called the gold standard. Uh, we've done one episode about it on episode 21, if anyone wants to take a listen with uh, Silver Bullion CEO. But what are your thoughts about holding gold 
So I'm a big proponent for precious metals, not just gold, but gold and silver, platinum, palladium. And actually, we were chatting before the episode. I know the guys from Silver Bullion. They're great guys, really, really awesome people. I've been out to see their vault. I've gone out and had dinner and drinks with Gregor a couple of times. Awesome, awesome people. I've also traveled all over the world looking at private vaults. I've been in the UAE, all over Dubai, and seen the vaults there. I've been to Austria and Germany and Switzerland. Um, here in Panama, I'm actually going this afternoon, tomorrow afternoon, something like that, back to one of the vaults there. I've been there 15, 20 times. And I think that holding precious metals under the right circumstances can be a real bedrock for someone's portfolio. Okay, they're not going to cash flow like they're going to do with real estate, and they're not going to pay interest like a bank account, but it's the stability which is going to add a lot to your portfolio. Now, do I say that someone should put 100% or even 50% of their portfolio in precious metals? No, I don't. I mean, it's a certain percentage, and it's going to be a lot lower than that. It's going to be dependent on your overall uh, portfolio and what you have in there for risky things. But for me, precious metals are a bedrock. I own precious metals. I store them offshore and I'll probably never sell them. I mean, my dream is that I'll give them over to my kid and my kid will give them to their kids and they'll in continue to increase in value. Now with precious metals, you can actually take loans against them. So you'll find that some financial institutions will actually give like a 70% loan to value on your precious metals. So if there is an instance where you need cash, you have something where you can um, take a loan against. Now that can be difficult if you're traveling as much as you and I do, you know, maybe we don't have a primary residence or maybe we rent or maybe we stay in Airbnbs, but if you hold precious metals in an offshore vault, that's always going to be there for you. And when you get your money back, you can pay it back. And the interest for something like this is usually very, very low that you must pay because they know the value of gold. They know how stable it is. So banks will actually want to do a loan with you. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And when you say low, are you talking about, you know, one or two percent or four or five percent? I'd say probably split the baby, like two, three percent, I think, in a lot of cases. And once again, I'm I'm not going to give financial advice on this episode. And please don't take any of the, these numbers as verbatim. But um, yeah, you can probably expect around that mark. OK, yeah, I, I, I can see why, you know, things would, would change depending on when someone's listening to this episode and what country they're in. But it is nice to know that you can have your, your gold and be able to, you know, uh, take out some of the money on it against it to spend when you need to. So when you uh, say you visit these vaults, is it what I imagine it to be like an actual, you know, bank type vault where you walk in and there's bars of gold lined up? In some cases, yes. Okay, let's talk about um, the boys in Singapore. So it was pretty interesting. I got invited by Gregor to come out and visit the vault. I was living in Abu Dhabi at the time. So I took a flight out there. It was, I don't know, about six, seven hours to Singapore and got checked into my hotel. And the very next morning, I tried to get an Uber out to this place. And he told me the name of it and everything. And it wasn't showing up on the Uber at all. So we had to just go by a GPS ping. And we started, me and the taxi or the Uber driver were trying to find this place. And no one in the area knew where it was. Finally, we get to some parking lot and there's a, security guard outside and gave my name. He took my ID, yada, yada, opened the gate and we came inside. And I mean, which building is it? I mean, there's warehouses everywhere. There's tons of different buildings. I have no idea. So I call them and he's like, okay, I'll come out. 
So he walks out of a very nondescript building. There's no sign outside or anything and walks me in the front door. And it's basically two doors shaped in an L. And at the front side is a uh, bulletproof glass with a couple of armed security guards back there, maybe three, four, five guys. I can't remember off the top of my head. And they couldn't open the second door until the first door was closed and locked. So I was like, that's interesting. And he tells me, yeah, it's called a man trap. So basically, it's physically impossible to, to open the second door. So first, first door closes. I hand over my passport. They take all of my information. Second door opens. And like I said, it's an L shape. It's, it's, um, it's at a right angle. So he tells me that, yeah, in case someone tries to drive a transport truck or something through the front door, it'll be impossible for them to, to turn the car right and do this massive swerve and go through the other one. Now, if it was just one door and then a second door immediately in front, they could drive a transport truck through it. I was like, okay, that's pretty intense, but interesting. Yeah. So I was lucky. I had a, I had a, TV crew who was meeting me there. We were going to be doing some filming and stuff like that. So they came in a little bit later, got all mic'd up and went in. And then the next one was a giant bar. Just imagine like the iron bars that you see in movie for in prisons and stuff like that. I've never been inside of a prison. Thanks. Thank goodness. But I've seen a lot of movies and that's exactly what it was like. These giant thick iron rod bars. You go through that one and then it's a bank vault, just like you would see um, once again, in movies, I swear, so much of this was like in a James Bond film. I was totally geeking out on this. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. So I was like, can I open the door? Like, can I open the vault door? He said, yeah, sure, of course. But just be very careful. Don't swing the door because if it hits the wall, there is this thin sheet of glass on the inside of the door. And if you hit the wall, the glass could break and the pits, pistons will fire out of the vault door and we won't be able to reset it. We'll basically have to rebuild the door. We'll have to get, get the manufacturer for the door. I was like, oh, Jesus. So very gently, I move this, I don't know what it was, a ton, two-ton door, which is on hydraulics, and, and gently swing the door open. And I walk inside, and it, it's not a vault. I mean, it's a warehouse, a warehouse with stacked silver, like 50 feet high, 100 feet high. It's on the ground. There's safety deposit boxes. There's monster boxes. It's everywhere. Something like $400 million in silver kept in this vault. And inside of that vault is another vault. And in that vault is safety deposit boxes. And in that one, they carry the gold. So it was just a mind-blowing experience. And after this, seeing this vault, I was like, this is awesome. That's when I started traveling out and going all over the world and viewing all these different vaults. So as I mentioned before, I've been invited to see the vaults in a half a dozen different countries. And I've wrote about it on my blog and I've spoke about it on my podcast on the Expat Money Show. And I think it's a really neat and interesting thing. And there's just so much to learn about this space. And we've helped so many people to move forwards with it. Yeah, it's definitely very interesting. And I agree. It's a good store of value. It's definitely not something that's you know, income producing, but it is a stable internationally you know, recognized or value. So as far as you know, uh, other investments that are cash flowing, what are some other ones that you like uh, for people who want to go offshore or invest outside of their home country? Well, I do think that there's still a space for international real estate. 
I mean, it is definitely more difficult because of COVID. Now, a lot of people think, okay, I buy international real estate, I'll put it up on Airbnb, and then I will get cash flow from it. Now, obviously, COVID's put a wrench in that plan, but a lot of people just think that the travelers who are going to come there are going to be international travelers. But that's not really the case. In a lot of countries, you can make up 90%, 95% of your um your guests are going to be locals. They're going to come from the local market. So say that if you buy beachside real estate and you put it up on Airbnb or you have a property management company or you have some type of a hybrid, it's going to be the people from the neighboring cities who want to get out for the weekend. Like we can take, I don't know, let's take Brazil for an example. I mean, I've worked a lot with the guys there in Fortaleza and they have beachfront property and just a couple hours away is a massive city. So every weekend, people go from the city out to the beaches. Same here in Panama. I mean, we've had pretty strict lockdowns in Panama where I live. But if you want to go to Coronado, it's $500, $600 a night to stay at one of these four bedroom villas. Now, in Panama City, you can get a small apartment for $600 a night, $700, or sorry, $600, $700 a month, pardon me, for your rent. But there's still enough affluent families here who want to get out of the city and go out to Coronado. So when we went several months ago, I mean, we're like, ah, maybe we'll stay another two or three days. And so we contact the the agents and they're like, no, it's booked. I mean, you have to be out by 1 p.m because we've got another family coming in and we looked around and we couldn't get anywhere else. So we had to come back to Panama city. So international real estate, but not looking at it for international people who are staying at the place, but people who are locals and going on weekend vacations. You know what I mean? It definitely makes sense. It's the same case here. Uh, You know, 99% of the money is made in Colombo, the capital of Sri Lanka, but it's a big city and people on weekends, they like to go to the, to the nicer beaches in the south or in the east or to the hills and the mountains of Norealia where instead of being you know hot and humid it's nice and cool and you know 10 degrees uh, cooler so people go there and, and rent an Airbnb or cottage for the weekend yeah absolutely and another interesting side note for your listeners there's a couple of things that are non-reportable so if you if your audience is quite international um this might speak to them. There's a couple of things that are non-reportable for FATCA and um, the IRS. Now, once again, I'm not giving individual tax advice, so please double check this with a licensed professional. But my understanding of the law as we're recording this is that if you are owning foreign real estate, it is non-reportable. Now, if you're making gains on that, if you're making an income or anything like that, that income is reportable. But if you're owning foreign real estate in your own name, as in not in an LLC or an IBC or anything like that. You don't actually have to report the property. And the same thing with gold, which we were talking about a moment ago. If you own physical metal and you are the sole owner and it is stored in a vault where you don't have the keys, where you can just walk in off the street and get it, it's 100% allocated to you. So safety deposit box, 100% allocated larger vault. That is also non-reportable. So not that I'm trying to tell, any, tell anyone to hide their money, but I mean, all these reporting requirements, they can be a big hassle. They can be a lot of extra work. You might actually have to hire a professional to file these things yourself. So if you don't like paperwork and you want to do it in a legal way, I would look into, I would invite you to look into owning foreign real estate or owning private um, precious metals in a private vault. Uh, that's really, because uh, 
yeah, I mean, just from a tax point of view, there are a lot of in their lives. And to be able to have a Thailand can't touch, don't even know about, very secure thing for, for peace of mind. Absolutely. And I mean, go to the IRS website. I mean, I've spent hundreds of hours on reading the IRS website and how this all works and looking at it. I mean, these things, you can go out there and research yourself. I mean, get some help if you need to do the forms. And if you want to double check things, hire a professional, or I mean, check out some of my work. If you don't know an international attorney or um, CPA, I can definitely introduce you to someone. But um, there's some interesting ways to do this, and it's all by following the laws and the rules. I mean, I always want to encourage people, and I always follow the laws and the rules myself, but there are ways to do this and not having to report it. So currently, the, the, if you have $10,000 or more in a bank account uh, outside of the U.S., you have to report it through FACTA. Is it possible to have you know, $9,000 uh, in 10 different countries and still not have to report no. So the what it is, is is actually an aggregate. So I mean, if any of the accounts cross 10,000 or as a combination have more than $10,000, then you're going to have to file a FATCA or get someone to do it for you. And interestingly enough, it doesn't actually go to the IRS. It goes to the Treasury Department. So you'll want to look into this a lot, but you can't have, say, one bank account with $5,000 and another bank account with $5,001 and think, oh, I'm under the $10,000 threshold. No, you're going to have to declare all of those accounts. And getting foreign bank accounts for Americans overseas has become extraordinarily difficult. A lot of banks don't want to deal with American clients anymore. And there's so much KYC and AML processes that need to go into it. A lot of times it's not worthwhile. Now, go back to our example of private storage for gold vaults, like my buddies here in Panama or something. I mean, it's a lot easier. I mean, because this is not a financial account. It's a safety deposit box. Now you have the safety deposit box. You physically put the, the gold in there, not money, gold in there. And um, yeah, so be very, very careful with FATCA because this is really serious stuff. And mistakes in FATCA, I believe is a $10,000 fine. Um, actually, and can go up from there. And there's even instances where you might end up in an orange jumpsuit. So be very, very mindful about these types of things. Yeah, I, I can see that. So aside from, you know, the kind of annoyance of having to file a FACTA form, do, you know, let's say you had $100,000 in a uh, offshore bank account, besides filling out the form and just letting the treasury uh, and, and the US government know that you have this money, do you have to pay, you know, any fees or any taxes on this? Well, okay, so we're getting into the weeds here a little bit because I mean, everybody's accounts is going to be different. And usually you're not going to be paying taxes on holding money. You're going to be paying taxes on the gains. And all Americans must declare and pay tax on their worldwide income. So once again, I don't want to get too much in the weeds because it is getting a little bit tricky, but it is legal for Americans to hold offshore bank accounts and to hold as much money as they've legally acquired in those bank accounts. But you must report that to the IRS to the Treasury Department to all of these types of departments. There's a lot of paperwork and you can go on these websites and find that paperwork or speak to a licensed professional to go through it. Okay, uh, definitely makes sense. So as far as you know, living in these other countries, I think before, you know, kind of prior to 2020 and COVID-19, most Americans or anyone with a strong passport didn't really see the 
you know, uh, see much benefit of, of having a second passport or residency kind of overseas. But this is something that you've been, you know, uh, helping people with and really interested in for many, many years now. Why is that? And how, do, how, how does things change now? Okay, think about it like this, Chani. We take insurance on our car in case we get into an automobile accident. We take insurance on our house for fire insurance in case our house burns down and we get compensated and we can rebuild our lives. But we don't really have an option for political insurance. Now, I would argue that a second residency or a second passport is exactly that. You can get a second passport and if something happens, you have a safe place to take your family to. Now, this could be war. This could be um, unrest in the country. This could be lockdowns. I mean, I don't know what the threshold is for you. I do know that I have a lot of people who do not feel safe in North America right now, and they want to have an option of somewhere they can go. So this is kind of like an insurance plan that you buy once and it's there for the rest of your life. And then the really cool thing is you can actually pass the insurance plan on to your kids and they can pass it on to their kids and so on and so on. So you really, you're making an investment in your future, in yourself. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, that's actually something that no one's ever brought up and it makes sense that if you become a citizen of another country and your kids will automatically become a citizen of that country as well in, in most cases. Yeah, oh, and definitely. I mean, every country is different and every country has its own laws, but there are definite ways that you can pass this on. And so let's take a, a Caribbean country for an example. You make a donation to the government of, say, roughly $100,000. You get citizenship. You get it for your family and your kids. I mean, that's yours. There's no annual upkeep. There's no, your terms are going up. There's no like health insurance. You hit 65 years old or 70 years old and your insurance plan is canceled and now you're uninsured. For the political risk, you pay that $100,000 once and it's there forever. If you want to enter that country to live there, to work there, to do business there, that's your right. You are a citizen of that country. I mean- for me, that's amazing. I think that's so brilliant. I mean, residencies work in a similar way, but they're not going to be quite as good. I mean, maybe it's the difference between holding, you know, an LLC or holding a trust. You know, they're both structures. They both protect you, but one protects you in a much larger way. And one does cost more than the other. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I mean, it, ideally, you would have citizenship of another country and uh, a second passport to travel on. I think during, you know, just this kind of COVID-19 travel ban, I did see a lot of benefit of being a resident because for example, Sri Lanka has been closed for tourists for a long time, but residents have been able to come back. So even a resident who is, you know, uh, a, otherwise a foreigner, but as long as they had permanent residency, they were able to come back to this country, um, you know, during the, the travel lockdowns. And I think that applied to a lot of places as well. It did. I mean, I have buddies who live here in Panama and they'd lived here for years and years and years. I want to say close to 10 years. And because they Panama has a very extensive tourist visa, it goes on for quite a while. They didn't really feel the need to get the residency visa. They just thought, ah, oh, you know, I'm constantly on the road for business. I always have to run up to the States and then come back. It's no big deal. I just won't spend the five or 10 grand to get this all set up. And then 
they had their whole lives here. I mean, they had an apartment here and everything. And when Panama went into lockdowns and they shut the airport, the airport was open, but it was only open for citizens and legal residents. And because my friend had been on a tourist visa for almost 10 years, he was neither. I mean, he had to go back to the States. So imagine his, his apartment is just sitting here. I mean, he still has to pay his bills. He still has to pay his rent. He still has to pay all these things. And he can't go and look at the place. I mean, that's a bit scary. If he had just had a little bit of forethought to actually get the residency, then he wouldn't have had that problem. He would have been able to re-enter the country. And like you said, this has happened in a lot of countries in the world. And I think COVID-19 really has kind of shook people up and said, you know what, this insurance policy of having a permanent residency or a second passport and citizenship somewhere might be worth the investment. So you had briefly mentioned investment by uh, or citizenship by investment. What are some other common ways? Uh, you know, I, I guess the easiest would be, you know, citizenship through ancestry. You know, if, if somebody has what I, Irish or um, yeah, or Polish or Italian or Armenian or many countries in the world uh, through ancestry, even countries like Finland and the UK and Spain and Portugal, I mean, a lot of these countries also have it. But we always think of Italy, Ireland, Poland, because they actually extend to the grandparents. But say one of your parents is from these other countries, lots of countries in Europe. There must be 30 of them or 40 of them around the world. You can do citizenship by ancestry. This is like a free passport. So if your parents are from one of these countries, I encourage you to go look it up. I mean, it might take a while. I have, I have lots of friends who have done Italian. It takes them two years and they have to hire a local lawyer, but it is worthwhile. I mean, the citizenship investments that we do, the Caribbean starts at about 100,000. Europe goes up to a million plus. So you can literally get a million dollar passport for a little bit of legal work and some due diligence and time and effort. I mean, that's one option. In our other episode, we covered residency and citizenship by investment, but there's also citizenship by marriage. So if, you, if your spouse is from another country or you marry someone from that country and you, they really are your spouse, I'm not talking about you know, fake marriages or anything like that. That's super dodgy and I would never encourage someone to do that. But if you are in a real relationship and you can prove you're in a real relationship and your partner is from a foreign country, there might be an opportunity there. Another way, is, I don't know what this is, fourth or fifth way, is by having a baby in that country. So you'll see this a lot of times with people coming to Canada and the United States. That's The child is born in that country and the child is automatically given that citizenship. So these are really popular in the Americas, all through Central and South America, Mexico, things like this. They have by the soil or um, citizenship by the soil. But Europe does more by the blood, so it's more the ancestry. So you can kind of, there, there's always exceptions to the rule, but you can kind of separate from that side. And then Asia kind of has like nothing. I mean, Asia is one of the more difficult countries. And in a lot of instances, they don't actually offer dual nationality. So we, I always try to work with people to help them get dual citizenship or a third passport, second, third, fourth passport. I'm not looking to trade one passport for another one. Yeah. I like it. So this has been fantastic. What are some of the other services that you help people with? So mostly what we help people with is moving themselves or their finances, their business or their wealth offshore. So to a foreign country, we can do this for legal tax mitigation, for diversification that we talked about before. Um, 
if you don't feel safe, like we were talking about the residency and the citizenship, that these will be reasons why. So we kind of help with that. We help with the residence and citizenship. We do international bank accounts, international company formation, LLCs, IBCs, stuff like that. And then I work as a consultant to help people piece all of this together to make kind of a master plan. And if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you can find out more about my work. You can probably reach out to me on the contact us form and we'll do our best to try to help you as, as we can. Awesome. You've been super helpful. Thank you for all of this great information and it was great catching up. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Johnny. Dude, I love, I love the topic. I just love the topic. All this makes me think about all the foreign investing opportunities that are out there. Um, did this inspire you to reshape the way that you're thinking about your portfolio or, or future moves? Yeah, definitely a bit. I mean, I've already started pouring a bit more money into Vanguard's uh, total international stock, stock uh, index fund instead of just being in the U.S., which has been on a roar, which is great because you know probably 40% of my assets are in the U.S. stock market. But I'm really thinking this is not going to last forever and it's good to diversify. So that's been one easier way to do it. Uh, and I've also been you know, now toying and thinking about, you know what, maybe I should put my money in uh, other countries through maybe real estate or you know, something else. So that's a really good point. And this is the one thing that I disagreed with in J.L. Collins' book, The Simple Path to Wealth. Uh, great book. And I always recommend people read that as kind of the one or for, you know, first three uh, books on investing in personal finance. But the one thing I disagreed with was he was saying you didn't need to diversify your index portfolio outside of, say, the S&P 500 and, and small cap. And his, his justification for that and rationale was that the S&P 500 is very much uh, an international fund. If you think a company like McDonald's or Starbucks, you know, as much as 50% or more of their uh, revenues are going to be coming from overseas, which is true. But it, it, you basically get the same amount of growth and even greater diversification if instead of doing just the S&P 500, did the total mar uh, stock market index, or if you rebalanced it with one additional fund, which would be total international, or you could do international developed. And I just think that not doing that, it doesn't make a lot of sense. There are, there's, there's reasons why big uh, US corporations could change their, um, where the domicile in the future. Um, you, you're going to have, I think outpaced growth in Asia going forward. I mean, there's just reason, there's even political reasons why you might not want to be fully uh, in the S&P 500. You just get more diversification, less risk um, with, with no additional cost, in my view, by adding some, um, some allocation to international funds specifically. I agree. And I think the only reason why these boggleheads, uh, the people who kind of follow the, the John Boggle kind of method of index funds and just the S&P 500 is because it's simple. And you know, 10, 20 years ago, it was really hard to buy international stocks. It was hard to buy different types of you know, funds. And, and that's why Vanguard was such a pioneer. And that's why you know, I'm such a big supporter of their service is because they made it easy to invest in things like index funds. Nowadays, it's just as easy for me to diversify by having you know, both the total US stock uh, market, which I buy through the ticker symbol VTI 
as well as having, you know, 20 to 30% of my money in uh, VSUX, which is the total international stock market. I think traditionally also the U.S. stock market has, you know, outpaced international and, and it's less volatile, but history doesn't repeat itself in, 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 in that sense where, you know, do I think the U.S. is going to be the only financial, you know, kind of power in the next 20 years? Like probably not, you know? So it's, I think it's silly not to, I mean, and, and the risk I'm taking by diversifying is yeah, maybe the U.S. will continue to print money and, uh, the stock market will grow faster than other countries, but I'm willing to take that small risk knowing I'm more diversified. And I think he made a really good point in this episode, which is when people think of international allocations, they immediately and usually narrowly think just, okay, well, instead of having uh, just an S&P 500 index, I'm going to add emerging markets, boom, diversified, done, game over, right? International is at play. And it's true, but when you have stock market crashes, all of those are going to crash. It's not like emerging markets is going to be okay and S&P 500 is going to tank 30%. They're usually correlated. Uh, but if you, if you get international and private businesses or even real estate, actually they can be uncorrelated or at least not, not be... Uh, in, might not be as, as much negative effect as uh, as a broad start stock market. And a good example of that is Black Hops, the microbrewery that I'm invested in that's run by Dan Morris down in the Gold Coast. They had by far their best year ever in 2020. And as soon as COVID broke out, their sales popped. You know, mm-hmm. they, they started a, a supply drop for people to get just home delivery of their, of their beers and they had the best year ever. So like COVID very easily could have been a massive, massive recession globally. Um, but by all measures, beer industry, at least in Australia is booming right now uh, and, w- and would have been booming even if this had been a recession, people would just get beer ordered to the house and drink away their sorrows. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, so. So, you know, I think it, you know, aside from being a very smart uh, way to diversify, it's also tremendously exciting and fun to, to go around to foreign countries and try to pick winners, doing business with locals there, making money in foreign currencies and, um, and seeing if you can, can add value to some of these because you're bringing experience to, a, you know, to these foreign operators that they don't necessarily have. It might not be better experience, it's just different experience because we're used to doing business in, in, a, um, in the US, which happens to be the, the world's largest economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of times things that work in the US also just happen to work in other countries. Uh, and we've just had a 10 year head start with, with many things. I'm sure Asia will catch up and, and excel. I mean, for the, um, the QR code payments, that's something that's been really popular in China for a long time through their WeChat app. And when you, when you go to China, everything, you know, from the, you know, from beggars, they'll have a QR code. And the fact that in the U S we are still stuck on, you know, I mean, literally people are still using paper checks, you know, and, you know, we're signing uh, a credit card, you know, receipt. It's, it's like, it's ridiculous. You know I mean? I like, paper receipts are so like so old school i don't understand why we're using it you know (laughs) so ridiculous yeah and yeah this yeah go ahead i was gonna say like this was very much this was very much uh my strategy going back to even starting sky sig was we have a i think we have a clear advantage in a lot of ways and like you said a 10-year head start 
And when I looked to start SkySig, it was looking at the US and I'm like, man, all this, you know, the e-cigarette boom is starting to happen in the US. Why am I going to start here and compete? It's clearly going to disrupt tobacco and it's going to be the same effect from here to China. So I want to pick the next best market. And I did that in the UK. And I think that was the main reason for the success. It was the same operational skills, same language, very similar uh, market and just got there before any of the competition got there. And then even post SkySig, it was a very similar strategy. I just went further east to where we're at now, kind of Southeast Asia. And when I started poking around these tech conferences in Hong Kong and Singapore, I realized like not only from the operator and entrepreneur level, but even up to the venture capital and investor level, it was just so far behind the States. It was way far behind the, the tech industry and the, and the venture capital um, industry in the US. And it was like, I could go into a tech conference in Singapore and feel like I was the smartest guy in the room. But if I go to that same conference in Austin or San Francisco, I'm just a small fry with limited knowledge, you know? And so I started looking and actively making investments in Southeast Asia from real estate to, um, to technology companies like Glintz, and then even down to breweries in Australia. Like it was clear what was happening in the US with the microbrewery industry in, in Australia is just five, 10 years behind, you know, but it was clear what was gonna happen. And with that, made some smart decisions and those have all so far been, been pretty good. Um, but like, but like you said, with the QR payments, it's actually almost happening in reverse now. Like for the first time ever, since I've been coming to Asia, I'm feeding information back to some of the business interests I have in the USA. I'm like, yo, mm. this is, this QR thing is going to happen very quickly, specifically at restaurants in the US. Mm -hmm. Going and wait and having a server come up to you and take your order and bring you a bill and you give them your credit card and they go run it and bring it back. Oh God, that's yeah. Done. That's okay. I would say within I say within 18 months, the majority of restaurants in the Western world are going to be doing a QR code. You eliminate the server, you you order immediately when you sit down. You don't have to wait on a bill. So you go there, you scan a QR code, menu pops up, you order the restaurant just turns into a kitchen with food runners. That's it. You don't have any servers except for maybe in luxury, you know, specialty restaurants. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when you're ready to go, you just pay on your bill. It splits the bill. However you want to, it's done. You don't have to, some waitress looking at you weird because you're asking it split it two ways. It's a better process from the restaurant to the staff, to the customer. And it, it's going to happen really quick it, uh, because of COVID. No one wants to do this, this, uh, you know, face-to-face -face touch payments, but it's, it just happens to be, a better system yeah. um, and Asia's done a much, much better job at, at innovating on that level. Absolutely. It, it's archaic now. I, I think when, when people go to the U S and they have to give their credit card to someone and they disappear with it for 10 minutes, it's, I mean, for us, we're used to it. That's just the way it's always been done. But in every other country, <laughs> they come to you with a mobile, you know, credit card reader and, and they just do it on the spot. You know, and this mm -hmm. QR uh, reader, it just, kind of leapfrogs that again and say, you know what, everybody has a mobile phone now. Why even do that? You know, a, a lot of restaurants were trying this maybe five years ago when iPads first started getting popular. But the problem is iPads are expensive and, you know, you have, they have tech issues and, you know, it's just like, it's, it's, it, it's mm. a good idea to have an iPad at every table, but it was an expensive startup. You know, the, the cost of the actual units, keeping them charged, people, you know, maybe potentially breaking them or stealing them. Uh, you know, people need to learn learning the process, but everybody can print out a QR code and 
Yeah. Like, you know, and everybody has a phone, like one person at the table will have a phone. And what you had mentioned about the bill splitting, that is amazing. I would love that. Can you imagine being, you know, going with a group of 20 people and, you know, being able to have 20 separate checks and not have to deal with it? Yeah. You don't have to deal with it. They don't, and the restaurant doesn't have to deal with it. It's such a massively more efficient process. The food comes out quicker, like everyone's happier. So there is no doubt this is going to be mainstream. Uh, I'm invested in a, in a food delivery company. It was very much a technology company. They also are doing active menus, like online menus. And I was, I just sent them all this information. I'm like, guys, this is, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. You're going to have 70 plus percent of restaurants in the U S doing this. I would say it it could happen in the next 12 months. If it's going to be such a massive transformation quickly and whoever is in on that, Mm-hmm. is going to make some serious money. Whoever's running that and hosting that web application, is going to make some serious, serious money. Yeah, and it's going to be better for the world. Yeah. <laughs> so happy benefits. Yeah. And actually, uh, from a restaurant revenue point of view, they've done studies showing that when people see photos, especially these high-res photos of the food, they're more likely to order appetizers and additional items and far more likely to order dessert. Imagine... You know, going to pay the bill on your you know, phone and you get a prompt saying, before you go, are you sure you don't want some dessert? And you get a pop-up <laughs> with some beautiful looking tiramisu, yeah. some burnt cheesecake. How many people do you think are going to say, oh, you know what? Yeah, let's stay for, let's stay for a cake. Let's, let, let's order something before we go. We're not in a rush. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And the upsell, you click out and say, no, I don't want dessert. And you click out and it says, how about we give you two for one? Mm. <laughs> free, free cup of coffee with your dessert. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. I'm actually really excited about it as a, as a human in this world and a restaurant user. But uh, yeah, I'll give something else that's going to be very exciting for all the listeners. Okay. And you, Johnny, mm. I just saw, okay. So one thing big, thing I noticed being over here in Thailand um, the last two, three weeks is that property prices in the USA, and I imagine in Australia, maybe not so much in Europe, um, but for the most part in the Western world, property prices have either stayed the same or actually risen through COVID, largely because of all the, you know, the mortgage bailouts and the money printing and, and stimulus that's been provided. And it was always like, how can this, how can this be, you know, uh, globally? And, and it's not globally. In fact, in Thailand, property prices are getting hammered. Uh, sounds like it's the same in Sri Lanka and it's, it's not going to recover for a long time. I just saw a, a printout. I think we can leave this in the show notes of when the vaccinations uh, of the majority of the populace are expected to happen uh, for Asia specifically. And so by the end of 2021, they're expecting uh, 60% of the population in Hong Kong, Singapore, and I think Japan to be vaccinated. But then it, it drops off pretty sharply and the timelines start getting pushed really long for like China, um, Thailand, and like Macau, some places like this, it's more like the end of 2022. Mm. But then for places like Sri Lanka, um, Bhutan, Indonesia, Malaysia, 
talking 2023. Wow. And then there's countries that we're probably not immediately thinking about investing in like Pakistan, uh, India, uh, Afghanistan that are 2025 or beyond when they're expecting to get the vaccinations for the populace. So if you just think about that from where we're at today, where we have, we have lockdowns all across Asia, not, I mean, not as significant as they are in the West, but you have any level of lockdowns and you have no, no timeline in the near future of when vaccinations are going to happen in these countries, including Sri Lanka and Thailand is like maybe 2023. So there's just only one thing that can happen. They can either adopt like these serious money printing policies to try to, to boost them, but they can't, you know, their economies and their currency can't absorb it. Like, like the Western countries or their economies are going to go into a deep, deep depression and property prices are already getting hammered. So this is again, a once in a, it's going to be a once in a, you know, our lifetime opportunity, I think to buy property in some of these places, uh, specifically in Asia at deep, deep discounted prices. Um, it's only going to get better. I mean, you know, prices are only going to get better. Uh, I don't wish any ill harm on, on, uh, the people of the economies over here. I love it. I love the people. I love the, you know, I love the places, but there's really the writing's kind of on the wall for what's going to happen. And I think there's some serious deals for anyone that goes in with cash and, and, uh, is really ready to really find good opportunities. I'm ready, Sam. I'm sitting on a mm. bunch of cash and my stocks are, you know, going through the roof. And right. you know, wanting like, and I'm like, let's cash out and buy some real assets. And I'm happy that this is happening because property and real estate prices have just been overvalued for so long. And it's time for a correction. It's time for people who have been scrolling away their nuts to be able to buy a house, to be able to buy a property. Finally, I mean, it's it was unfair to people. You know, they could have worked and saved their whole lives and they would just be so out of reach of buying any property just because it was so over overvalued. This is our time. Yep. This is our yeah. time. This is our time. Yeah. And, and hopefully it's a time for locals as well. Like, you know, people on, on the ground here that have been doing the same thing and saving money away, but 50,000, a hundred thousand doesn't buy you anything in Bangkok. I mean, mm. it barely buys you anything in Chiang Mai, but now I think everyone, the younger generation is going to have an opportunity to get vested in property. Yeah. So I'll tell you my plans. Yeah. Hit me with it. So Woo! in the next couple of months, probably somewhere in April, maybe May the latest, I'll, I'm going to Kiev, Ukraine. And if I find something for ideally un, under a hundred grand, that's in the city center that's, you know, decent and can rent out for, you know, a thousand bucks a month, I'll probably buy it just because it's summer that I plan on going back to every year. Uh, it's, and, but mostly because it's such a pain in the butt to find apartments accommodation in Ukraine, Thailand, I would never buy property just because it's so easy to find short-term rentals that mm. for, for me and my lifestyle, it just doesn't make sense. I can just book a new place every mm. time. Ukraine is one of the few places where it's just such a headache where you're either overpaying because it's one of the very few kind of modern westernized places that has, you know, like a flat screen TV and like clean sheets, or you're staying in some old granny flat that you're just uncomfortable being in. Yeah. So that, yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. 
But doesn't it just sound fun? Like I, I was actually getting envious when you're telling me about your plans. Cause I'm like, ah, I just wanted to interject and be like, I, I want to come with you. Mm. <laughs> you're always wanna, welcome to come. I want to come with you. I, I want to come with you. Well, Johnny and I always talked about like going to Ukraine and like getting in really good shape. And it's been a long time since I've done like a, a like a dedicated one month or two month boot camp, and they have some great gyms over there. And uh, I just think that whole concept of looking for foreign investments, even if it's just property, uh, it's fun in, in an exotic place. It's it's yeah. just fun. It really it's is fun. fun. Yeah. So that's one. And then the second is going to be a complete surprise to you because I've never mentioned it and I've actually never been to this country, but the more I hear about it, the oh, more I research it, it seems like the perfect wait, wait. place. Let me guess the country. Okay. The country Johnny hasn't been to. Yes. It seems like a perfect place. It can't mm. be any more cold than it's Russia. No. Oh, damn. Wait, one more guess. One more guess. Okay. One more guess. Okay. A perfect place. I'm going to say it's not cold. And you haven't been there. Um, uh, Portugal? Portugal is great, uh, but not Portugal. Uh, ah, I thought you I thought you had been there. Oh, well. Yeah, right, and I've been there. there. I've been there. Okay, I'll give you some hints. Uh, amazing food. Uh, and the places that I... Georgia. Would, You've been to Georgia. I've been to Georgia. So, okay. Um, okay. This place on paper, it sounds incredible. And I've never been there. Uh, it's popular with, you know, with lots of Russians, Ukrainians go there. Uh, maybe some Europeans. It has a beautiful coast. When, you know, so you, can get, you can get a sea view uh, apartment or condo for starting at 30 grand. That's super modern. Egypt. Not Egypt. Uh, great construction. Oh, so like great design, beautiful tiles and bathroom and just nice modern designs built well. And there's so much history around there. It's, it's almost oh God. like, you know, Mediterranean. Yeah. And, Cyprus. And no, I think, I, I don't know Malta. that much about Cyprus, but I don't, you can't get a, I don't think you can get a beachfront, I'm not beachfront, like a beach view property, ocean view property for 30 grand in any of those countries. Morocco. The only, the only reason why this place is so cheap is their currency devalued by 75% in the last four years? Uh, Brazil. Turkey. Duh! South coast of Turkey. Damn it. Amazing food, good weather. You know, even in the winter, you're, winters, you're, it get you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. It sounds fantastic. Turkey's Easy awesome, visa. Man. Yeah. Turkey's awesome. You've been there. Turkey's yeah, been there. A few, in fact, I was this time last year. I was down in uh, Bogan, Bodan, okay. Bogan, which okay. is—I mean, you feel like you're in Greece. Yeah, I was surprised. I saw I saw these beautiful, like uh, Acropolis-looking, uh, you know, ruins. It's like, wow, I didn't know they had this. You know, then I, mean, I saw the this like is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Then they had mm -hmm. this uh, tiered kind of uh, you know those like you normally see it in like Iceland where you have like these tiered pools that kind of overlook the ocean that like and like it's like natural swimming pools that kind of fall down like cascading pools and i was like i saw this on instagram i'm like where the heck is this and i, and I looked i was like oh my god this is turkey yeah turkey's 
Turkey is a really cool place. Um, the South Coast specifically. I'm not a big fan of Istanbul, mm. but one also good thing there is Turkish Airlines are arguably one of the best airlines in the world in terms of just getting places. You can fly from Istanbul to any place that you're going to go directly to Johnny uh, or like one hop. Uh, good modern fleet of planes. Good, you know, Istanbul is a great airport. And let me look up that city I was just in turkey cities because i loved yeah. it yeah and, uh, I, like and I was the, there in what was it february and it was like it was a little cold but you know like even the mediterraneans in february is not that nice it's a little cold mm-hmm. um but it, yeah, was, I mean, it was definitely like in this in the daytime it was like 65 and sunny bodrum b-o-d-r-u-m i know some other listeners been there really popular place. When you're down there, you think you're in Greece. They have vineyards, incredible food, beautiful coasts, sailing. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and the history there between like Turkey and ancient Greece is, is endless. So good stuff to dig into. Yeah. So you think you can get a place for 30,000 on down on, on that coast. Yeah. And, and, and I've taken a look and I was shocked what you can find. I mean, if you want like a, like you know a super nice place you might be paying 50 grand but for 30 grand you can get like new construction even it's it's crazy let me know when you're going to go look i want to go (laughs) with you this this, and this is exactly how i see the next chapter at least of my life which is Mm -hmm. it's going to be mediterranean and asia like that's Mm -hmm. where i want to spend the majority of my time there's great history great food um there's you know business to be done in both and I'll pop back to the U.S. for a few months a year, go skiing, see my my parents and stuff. But yeah, man, would love to have you um, join along in that ride. And we can yeah. you can come to my place in Barcelona, and we'll go hang out at your place yeah. on the coast. Let's do it. My my, my plan, to, you know, it's gonna be like two properties. I'll spend three months in Ukraine, work out, you know, eat some good food, meet some hot girls, take her down to Tur- my place in Turkey, chill out for three months. <laughs> You know, maybe maybe pop through uh, Italy for a week on the way back. You know, just and just bounce between those two. You know, honestly, I think uh, my time in Asia is kind of wrapping up. I, I've been coming here every day, every year for twelve years now, and I and I like Asia. I love Thai food, but I think for me, it's going to be uh, Europe and maybe Turkey. Who knows? But somewhere, somewhere well, like good- that. Great thing with Europe for both business and lifestyle, it's the best time zone to run global business on because you can operate Asia and you can also hit the Americas by working sort of normal hours. Um, But lifestyle-wise, one of the big reasons that I chose Barcelona or Europe as a whole is just it splits my worlds. It's the center of my worlds. You know, instead of taking 25 hours of flights from uh, South Carolina to Asia, I can take a seven hour flight from Atlanta to Barcelona, hang out there, one direct flight. And then I can fly directly from Barcelona to Asia, or I can hop through, um, take Emirates through Emirates or Qatar through the middle East. Mm-hmm. And if you're in Turkey, you know, you're, you can t- fly Turkish airlines directly to almost any place, big cities in the U S and you can fly to all the big cities in Asia. So you're like, you're one flight away from wherever you want to be. And, those flights are like between seven and 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, nice plane. So it's, a, it's yeah. a great, it's a great central destination. Oh, I'm excited, Sam. I am so excited. I think everything we've done this last, you know, five, 10 years of building up our portfolios, you know, you know, getting used to the, the visa situations and all that. It's, mm-hmm. it's all paying off now. And I think this is our time to shine and time to enjoy life. 
I think so, man. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, for all the listeners, I hope there's may have unlocked some opportunities. I know it was based on U.S. people thinking of international investments, but it's applicable. It doesn't matter if you're listening from Georgia or Australia or Argentina. It's all the same. We all have home country bias. We tend to invest in our home countries, it's where we're comfortable with, but it's a big global world, a global economy, and there's lots of opportunities out there. And like right now, for the next couple of years, especially in real estate, uh, in, in like emerging markets, the opportunity is absolute. Like if you get there and you have cash, you're going to be able to make some awesome deals. Uh, and it's, I think it's a once in our lifetime opportunity right now yeah. to, to get out there and find it. Absolutely. Cash has never been more king than, you know, COVID-19. <laughs> Uh, nor, nor has Bitcoin. <laughs> well, one Bitcoin buys you a house in a lot of places oh right now. Isn't that so ridiculous? Funny. Thank you, yeah. Elon Musk, for that uh, $1.5 billion prop up. So actually, uh, I have zero FOMO that I wasn't invited, I mean, uh, invested in, in Bitcoin. And what's nice, actually, is I have zero FOMO that I'm not invested in Tesla because I'm invested in VTI, which owns Tesla stock. And because Tesla now owns Bitcoin, I'm also owning some Bitcoin through them. So I really believe that if Bitcoin Funny. continues to kind of, uh, you know, have this ball rolling where it becomes part of big companies, the companies that I own through VTI will also increase in value. So I don't have to hold the risk of owning the individual companies, but I still get the benefits, which is fantastic. Very good point, Johnny. Way to be a way to, way to be positive about the uh, the missed opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, I hope uh, none of you guys miss any opportunities. Uh, Sam and I post our buy and sell orders of whatever we're doing with our personal accounts in the Patreon, which is our private members group for show supporters. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our four newest Patreons: Charles Mostow. Branham H, Dan Kosovici Jinkuya, uh, Jordan Phillip, and all of you who have been with us for, you know, wow, some some years now. Uh, you guys are the ones who pay for Derek's salary. He has, he's a producer. He's the one lining up all these great guests. So big thanks to all of you. And a very uh, happy and uh, what's the word? Happy Valentine's Day to all the guys and girls out there. And in case you don't have a date or a loved one to share this Valentine's Day and evening with, Johnny and I love you all out there. And uh, you all are our Valentines. Yeah. And uh, by the time you listen to this, it's, it's going to be a few days after. So I hope you had a good yeah. Valentine's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we just passed a Lunar New Year as well. So, Gongshi uh, Fatai. You know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, did you know actually the little literal translation of that term? It, it doesn't mean Happy New Year. No. Is that Chinese? Mandarin? It's Chinese. Yeah. So mm -hmm. in Mandarin, it's, you know, and in, um, in Cantonese, it's and it's a greeting that we say for Happy you know, Chinese New Year, but it literally means, I hope you get rich. Mm. China's going to take over the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are and, outsmarting us and they have the right mentality and they're not entitled. So <laughs> the future so, is bright. 
Yeah. Take a listen to uh, Ronnie Chang. He's a, comedi- he's a comedian on Netflix. And it, it's uh, part of his kind of joke series about, uh, about why Chinese people love money so much. So enjoy. <laughs> okay. Well, all the listeners, we hope you get rich in uh, English and in whatever how the Chinese uh, translation is as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, last but not least, I want to say big thank you to everyone who's been leaving these five-star reviews on iTunes. If you haven't yet, what you can do is open the podcast app, either on your Mac or your iPhone or kind of wherever you're using. Scroll all the way down on the Invest Like a Boss podcast page and click on write a review. Uh, the two newest ones, we have LK Bez, who says, great for newbies, five stars. I'm new to investing and have found this podcast extremely approachable and informative. They have an excellent selection of true experts in the finance industry. Well done, guys. Well done. And Don Invest says, honest and always entertaining investment advice. Five stars. Sam and Johnny have worked hard and have found success in their businesses and investments. The best lessons can be learned by selling failures, though, and not success. And Sam and Johnny don't shy away from telling you what they did wrong and what they did, what they learned. They both have a great sense of humor and tell some crazy stories. If you like real investing advice mixed with some good times, this is the podcast for you. Great. I love it. All of the listeners get out there and find some international opportunities while they're hot, baby, hot. All right. And get yourself overseas because there are flights every day. Oh, you know what? You didn't mention it real quick. Can people get to Thailand? How did you get there? Uh, you need to apply for an application. It's about a two-week process, at least in the U.S., just write the embassy and apply. Uh, once you have the visa approval, you need to get a CR, PRC, whatever the saliva test, saliva mm-hmm. test um, COVID test is. And once you have that, you have to get a fit to fly, which is like a last minute physical. Those two things have to come within 72 hours of your flight. And then they have um, semi-commercial flights and chartered flights available from all the big cities. Uh, this is probably the same globally. And, uh, and then you got to do a two-week quarantine. Now, I think that's going to be lifted pretty soon once vaccinations get rolled out. It's actually going to happen in Phuket first. Phuket's trying to get... Uh, more than 60% of the, the, the local population vaccinated so that they can open up for direct flights for tourism, in which case mm. they will start allowing vaccinated people to enter um, without quarantine. I think this is what's going to happen globally. Soon countries will start opening up to people that either have the antibody or uh, are, are, va- are vaccinated. Um, and it, it makes sense. So yeah, you can get into Thailand right now. You just got to do the two weeks quarantine, which isn't that bad depending on, on if you're in a big city somewhere else in the world. Um, yeah. Okay. And then you're in paradise. And if you guys want to look up more information, just Google Thailand special tourist visa, and you're allowed to stay for up to 90 days, which is pretty cool. 90 days. And they're not kicking you out after that. Once you're in, you can extend it. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Do, do you know how, how long Lanka, you Johnny? Yeah. Um, so Sri Lanka is officially open. Also, there is a two week quarantine, but it's a soft quarantine, which means you can roam around your hotel property. So if you book a place that has a big grounds or swimming pool, 
you can, you know, walk around, you can use the pool, you can use the, the gym, you can use the sauna, you can eat on the on-site restaurants. And a little travel hack, if you book a place that's directly on the beach, you can use the beach too, but only in front of your hotel. You're not allowed to wander around. You're not allowed to, you know, interact with locals. Uh, but it's, it, it, that seems like a pretty easy quarantine, especially because, uh, easy yeah. vacation. <laughs> yeah. Basically it's kind of like going to all inclusive and just not leaving the resort. Uh, yeah. It's, it's nice to have an excuse to not like have to go into town and do 10 things and see sites. Like just you're, you're at a resort, bring some work into books and you're good. Yeah. And if you're afraid of getting bored in one place, what you can do is you can book seven days in one resort and then seven days in another resort. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. Oh, Thailand's actually got a new golf quarantine where you can you can go and stay at one of the like nine golf resorts uh, available through the program in Thailand, and you're restricted to the hotel and golf course. So you could play 36 holes of golf course every day and drink beer all day. Uh, I actually missed that program by three days. Oh it no! It opened up when I was in quarantine. And I tried to transfer, but they wouldn't <laughs> let me. But that, I mean, that's a vacation, so something to think yeah. about. So I, I have a feeling that a lot more of these opportunities are going to come up. So if you guys are unhappy where you are, don't make excuses. Look for opportunities. They exist. Thanks for listening, guys. See all of you next week. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at bestlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.